Yes, T-minus just a couple of weeks before we do another Worship on the Lawn, back by popular demand. I don't know about you, but I watch that video and I think, man, it's just good to get to be outside. I hope you've been uh, this week soaking up some of the beautiful weather here in central Indiana. Maybe some of you are joining us online today from a distance away. I don't know about where you're at, but here in Indiana, it's been gorgeous. I hope you've been enjoying the out of doors. I sure have. Uh, It's grilling season. Last night, I put three pork butts on the smoker. They were smoking all night long. We've got a connection point dinner at our house tonight, like 18 folks coming over to our house to enjoy a beautiful night together to just talk about what God's doing here at Venture. We're going to feed them. And I just checked it. I've got the app on my phone. Uh, Those pork butts are at 178 degrees. We're aiming for 205 degrees internal temperature, so you can be praying for that, right? So uh, I don't know if you caught what Jenny said just a minute ago, but that weekend, Worship on the Lawn, we really are calling you here. We want to celebrate life together here. Technology is hard to pull off out there, so we're not doing online worship services that weekend. We really hope you'll come and join us here. Bring a lawn chair, uh, plan to stick around afterwards. We're going to do some food afterwards, so join us for a day, Worship on the Lawn, that particular Sunday. All right, we need to dive into our series, Ecclesiastes, we've been walking through. It's got a seven-week-long series. Today is week four. Uh, We've been on a two-year and now a seven-week cycle, two years seven weeks. These are the words we've been talking about each week. It's been two years of depletion. We're leaning in for seven weeks, looking for some ancient wisdom, the kind that grandma and grandpa would appreciate. Deplete, then replenish. I have to be real careful when I say that. I mentioned this last week that Don called me out. Replenish is how I want to pronounce that word. I did the week before over, apparently, and over and over again. My dad texted the family group chat that night. Uh, last week and said, you know what, that's my fault. That's how I have pronounced that. That's probably how Stan caught that. He joins us online, usually at our 5 p.m. online service, and uh, he he caught that and said, hey, that's, that's my fault. Deplete, replenish. I did it again. That's what we're trying to do during this season, these seven weeks. You probably are wondering, what in the world is this all about? I made two of these frames out of the same board. One of them I gave my brother for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I made this one for myself. I'm going to tell you here in just a minute what it's made out of. But I've had it for two years down in the basement, and I just can't quite decide which photographs I want to put in the frame or the frames. I've got four shots there. There's too many pictures to choose from. But I've got a theme that I really, in my mind's eye, want that to look like. While I'm talking today on the topic I'm talking about, I wonder if you have some photographs in your mind's eye that fit with the theme of what we're talking about today, that by the end of the message, you're going to be picturing what you would want in those photographs, in those picture frames, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Let me tell you what some of the contenders have been as I've been thinking about what I would put in that particular photo frame. Here's a picture right here. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody recognize what that is? Yeah, if you were born maybe before the days of 24-7 air conditioning, you know that this is flypaper. Kind of disgusting, right? One of these hung next to the uh, table in the kitchen of my grandparents' trailer. No AC hotter than blazes in there, 
And I remember eating uh, food and looking up and watching the flies kind of wiggle just a little bit on the fly paper. And then I would watch a fly land on my food, and then I'd look up at that and think, huh, there's a correlation here. And I'd just been out with the cows, and I'd seen flies on the cow piles in there's a correlation there, too. Anyway, not to gross me out. This, this right here is something that in my mind's eye, I think there, that, that probably fits somewhere here in this picture photo frame. What else? Last fall, we did a fall spiritual growth journey. We called it a journey home. And we had asked a bunch of folks in the church to give us old family photos. This is one of ours. Dawn submitted and it made it into the book. This is me and my brothers and my cousin and a whole mess of squirrels. This is my grandma. We're posing in front of the trailer that I just described to you. There's something in that that probably fits here in this photo frame. I've got a picture of my mom when she was just a little girl and my grandma just laughing. I don't know, there's something hilarious that was just said. I wasn't there, of course. I don't know what was just mentioned, but something about the love that happened in this kitchen. This isn't in the trailer, but this is in the old farmhouse before it was too bad to live in anymore, and they had to move out into the trailer. There's something in that that I think fits in this photo frame. How about this, this picture right here? Next to the flypaper in the trailer, I remember this photograph. Some of you know this picture. It's from 1920. It's called Grace. The photographer's name is Eric Instrom. By the way, this happened to become in 2002 the official state photograph of the state of Minnesota. But back in the day, this was something that faithful people who followed Jesus put up, and it reminded them this is our daily bread. Let's say grace. Let's lean into the things of God intentionally in our life. Something about that probably fits in here. I've shared with you before my grandpa had a tractor. Here's a picture from a long time ago. This is my uncle, uh, Harold. He became an engineer, actually, at John Deere. That's kind of cool, right? This is my uncle, Don. He was a contractor, a general contractor in Columbia, Missouri. This is my uncle, Bob. Uncle Bob, Bob passed away from brain cancer a few years ago, but for like 30 or 40 years he was a career pastor. And sometimes when we'd go over and visit Grandma and Grandpa's farm, we'd keep driving and we'd go to church on Sunday morning with his church in Clarence, Missouri. There's something in this that fits in here. So much so that a few years ago, my brother and I drove over to Missouri and we picked up Grandpa's tractor and brought it back. My brother, by the way, is also a pastor, Mike, and uh, he's spent the last several years lovingly restoring that old tractor. There's something in that that belongs in here. By the way, when I gave this to him, a similar frame, I gave it to him with pictures in there of the restoration project because I made that one and this one out of a board from Grandpa's barn. When I think about my grandma and Grandpa Schofield, there's something in here that's the word we're looking at today. It's the word legacy. We've been chasing all kinds of things in this series. Today we're chasing legacy. Here's the deal. You live downstream of somebody. And somebody or a group of somebodies lives downstream of you. As you think about your legacy, the things that you're leaving behind, I would encourage you, what pictures, oh, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what's somebody going to put in their collage that's the legacy you're leaving behind? When I think about what grandma and grandpa have left for our family, oh, my goodness, 
I probably should fill this with pictures currently of my kids, maybe my first house, some of the things that they've invested in, and the trickle-down effect has been profound in my family. I'm who I am today in many ways because of the legacy that they leave behind. Whether it be grandparents, whether it be faithful people who planted this church 50-some years ago. Maybe I think of people when I was a kid who taught Sunday school to me when I was a little kid, the kids that are investing in your kids and grandkids, the, the, the adults that are doing that today down the hall in Venture Kids. Here's the thing. Legacy lingers. That's what we're leaning into today, this idea that legacy has the potential to linger if, if you invest it correctly. Much of the book of Ecclesiastes is filled with what we're going to call under-the-sun thinking. Actually, you could take the whole book of Ecclesiastes and divide it up into two groups of people. The author is aiming at two different groups of people, those who lump everybody into one group and everybody else. No, that's not what he does. Those are two types of people. No, it's the two types of people, one that lives under the sun and those who live with above the sun thinking because this is the realm of God. Under the sun is the realm of men. Much of the book is filled with under the sun thinking. We see meaningless, meaningless over and over again. But every once in a while, our eyes are raised and we look above the sun, the realm of God. For example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, check this out. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. And when we raise our eyes above the sun, we can tap into that. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. How about this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14? He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Everything that God does. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will revere him. When we think about legacy, we need to lean into the first part of that particular sentence. A couple of definitions before we dive in. Let me remind you, if you've been tracking along with us, whenever you see the word meaningless, this is the Hebrew word hevel in the book of Ecclesiastes. It literally means vain striving. It's like that image of trying to run up the down escalator, and you never can reach the top of the world's longest escalator. Under the sun, whenever you read this in the text, this literally means a life without God. So if you see that phrase, you just got to be thinking, hey, he's talking about this side of the equation, life under the sun. Let's dive into the text. I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. If you want to go there in your Bible, please do that right now. Or maybe if you want to track along in that Bible that's underneath the seat in front of you, I'm on page 662. Page 662 of that Bible. Open it up. Let's read together. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Again, in my opinion, we're talking about Solomon. He never names himself, but I think Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Happy Sunday morning. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Think about that. Think about legacy. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. We don't know for sure that he did, but but in my opinion, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, oh my goodness, He chased after all kinds of wisdom opportunities, experiential opportunities, 
under the sun, including, we read in the text, I think it's in, is it 1 Kings or 2 Kings? 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3 says he was married to 700 wives, princesses, and he had 300 concubines. He explored stuff, right? Including, he married, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but he married, it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, he married Pharaoh's daughter, the king of Egypt. Solomon became allied to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marriage and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem around it. Isn't that interesting? So Solomon was tapped into ancient Egypt. You ever seen the pyramids? You ever seen a picture of the pyramids? What's interesting to think about is that phrase we just read, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. When Solomon wrote this 3,000 years ago, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but the, the Egyptian pyramids were already old then. They were already ancient then, many of them, and beginning to crumble already at that point in human history. I bet Solomon knew this. I bet he might very well have been picturing this then. I've got a graph that shows this. This is the span of when they were built, all the way back to, yeah, 2,600, 4,000. This is the beginning of this era. By the way, Solomon, if it's him that's writing Ecclesiastes, he would have written right about here. This would have been about the time of Father Abraham, ancient, right? Generations come generations go. Let's keep reading, shall we? Verse 9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? And he keeps going. It was there already long ago. It was here before our time. Think about the pyramids. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And we're talking about legacy, right? Listen, if you're taking notes today, I want to share with you five strategies, five things that if you want your legacy to linger, and I hope you do, you need to recognize these five things. They're stated in negative fashion. Your legacy is not, if you're taking notes, write this one down. Number one, it's not about you. We just read this in the text we just read, right? It said former generations, right? We don't remember? Let me ask you this. We just talked about pyramids. Who wrote, who built the pyramids? Well, the Egyptians did, right? Yeah, but who? What were their names? We don't know. And those have been lost to time. We have no idea who those builders were. We're not even sure which kings were, uh, you know, serving the kingdom and reigning over ancient Egypt at the time particular pyramids were built. Listen, your legacy is not about you. I was thinking about this past week. I read this article that I've got a screenshot of here. Uh, a reindeer hunter lost his knife in the Norwegian mountains 1,500 years ago. The permafrost had just melted, and they just found this there. And it's like this burl maple wood with, uh, I saw that, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I can relate to that guy. 
I'm a hunter. I like to be outside and chase things outside. And I've done this before where I've, you know, done the business after hunting and I just leave a knife and I get home and I realize, my goodness, I left that in the woods. I bet this guy did the same thing. So I can connect with him 1,500 years apart. I can, relative to his experience, I can connect with him, but I have no idea who he was. I don't know whose knife this belonged to. Generations come and generations go. No one remembers the former generations. If you want to leave a legacy to linger, recognize that your legacy is not about you. This seems so counterintuitive to what our culture tells us. Remember Ecclesiastes? If you lift your eyes above the sun, chapter 3, verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity into the human heart. We long for this. We long, we strive for legacy. God has hardwired it into us. The first sentence of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, I love this. It says it's not about you. Oh, we need to remind ourselves of that over and over again. It's not about you. Maybe you, like me, were in the grocery store this past week. Maybe not like me, you noticed or didn't notice an elderly gentleman that wanted to pay by a checkbook. Who pays with a check anymore, right? I mean, have you heard of Apple Pay, right? But he's fumbling with the checkbook, and then he can't remember the date, and his hands were shaking. It was hard to write. He didn't have a pen at first. He couldn't remember the date. I've got important places to be, right? I've got things to do. She notices it's an out-of-state check, and so she calls for approval. My goodness, this errand, this pop-in, pop-out, packed schedule, right? I don't have time for this. It's not about me, right? Or maybe you were at a restaurant and you saw a waitress who was having a rough day and you'd ask three times for a bottle of ketchup and she never brought it. And then you happen to look in the back and you see that she's crying back there to a coworker. Come on, I've got stuff to do. I've got things to be about. I want my ketchup. Doggone it. It's not about you. That's under the sun thinking, above the sun thinking might be to lean in and encourage that elderly gentleman and say, hey, listen, it's all good. How can I help? Or maybe to the young lady, my goodness, would we even dare? How can I be praying for you? I see you're having a rough day. Under the sun versus above the sun thinking, it's not about you. Your legacy is not about you. It's about what you leave behind for him. I want to pick up the text today, and I want to spin it. We're going to look at the same passage we looked at last week on Mother's Day. That's right. We talked about the value of work because moms work, right? But we're going to spin it 90 degrees today. We're going to study it from another angle. We're going to be looking at the result of work because the writer of Ecclesiastes has something to say about chasing legacy. Check this out. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So, verse 17, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will be, have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort. And because I must leave them and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another. And they've not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief 
and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Legacy, right? This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. From that, we pull the next several lingering legacy strategies. If you want your legacy to linger, recognize this, that your legacy is not, it's not your purchasing power. Did you catch that in verse 18? I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. You ever see a garage and recognize when that garage door is up, oh my goodness, they're using that garage as a closet. It's just packed full of all kinds of stuff. I might be guilty of that. Why? Because we're told, go buy more. And what do we do when we're told that? We buy more. And then when we die, who do we leave all of that mess for, right? Those who come behind us to take care of it. Think of all the things that you have that weigh you down, and as you think about what you want to be remembered for, the legacy you leave behind, lift your eyes up to above the sun, stop thinking below the sun, thinking because your legacy is not about your purchasing power. What else is it not about? If you want your legacy to linger, recognize that it's not about your achievement. Oh my goodness, this will preach in the world we live in today. Remember verse 19? And who knows whether that person who's going to follow behind me will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This is meaningless. I begin to despair over all of my toilsome labor under the sun. And I think of myself and I think of all the times that I leaned into career this will preach with a group of preschool families here in the next hour, right? To set our standards, to set our priorities, and oh my goodness, do I need to stay late at the office tonight or do I need to invest in the next generation? For the legacy that I want to leave behind, that is above the sun thinking, not below the sun thinking. Listen, preschool moms and dads, you're going to blink. Don't buy into the myth of quality time. Quality time really is a myth. It is, because quality doesn't happen on their timetable. Rather, quality plus quantity, well, this is where you get a quality life. And this is where you can leave a legacy with above-the-sun thinking. This is not designed to be a guilt trip. This is designed to simply call to an honest evaluation. Why? Because your legacy is not in what you achieve. All those sports trophies that collect dust in the hallway closet. They're not worth anything, right? Rather, what snapshots of time spent together fill the photo album of your kids' and your grandkids' mind's eye? Especially with the things that you've leaned into with them that are above the sun thinking. If you want your legacy to linger, recognize, number four, that your legacy is not your earning potential. Oh, my goodness. We live in a type A, fast-paced culture, especially here on the north side of Indianapolis. I'm talking about your past, your present, and your future earning potential. 
Remember verse 21 said, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless. And it's a great misfortune. What do people get for their toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? The answer to that is nothing, right? There's a passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 15 that says, We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, God as were all of our ancestors, including, we read about this in the New Testament in Hebrews, ancestors like Abraham. We just placed him on the timeline of the pyramids, right? In chapter 11, verse 9, it says, By faith he, Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And then that same passage talks about all of the heroes of the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 describes them that they were admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We're saying your legacy is not your earning potential. It's not the stuff that you accumulate. This past week, I went on a brief hunting trip to be outside. I, I realized uh, on Thursday night that, oh, my goodness, I could sneak down. I had somebody that offered me a spot to go turkey hunting. And uh, it was in the same town that my son, Micah, some of you have been praying for him after his accident. He's doing so much better. He's wrapping up schoolwork down there, and I thought I can take him to lunch, and I can spend some time out in the woods tromping around, seeing God's creation. I, I have uh, Marriott points. Don and I do that. And so I was able to book a free hotel night, and I went in and stayed there and got up early in the morning, went out tromping around the woods. But when I arrived at that hotel, I thought, man, I like this. This is a nice space. I like that TV. I'll just load it up in my truck and take it with me when I leave, right? I thought, oh, my goodness, I like the comforter. I'll, I'll go roll that up and stuff that into my suitcase. And those drapes, those might go well in our living room. I didn't do that, of course. Why? Because it's not my stuff. I was just renting this space for a night. I didn't even take any of the lotion or shampoo and conditioner because all that stuff was bolted to the side of the, the, the uh, shower. There's two types of people that uh, the way you inhabit a hotel room. Some of you, you unpack all of your stuff and you put it in the drawers. Then there's the rest of us. We don't even know what those drawers are there for because while we're in the hotel, I, like I want to be able to pick up and run at the moment's notice. I don't ever unpack. I'm right there. Why? Because this is not my home. I'm just, I'm just renting space. There's this old song that my grandma and grandpa used to sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. This is not where I set up shop. I'm just passing through. Under the sun is just a brief station on life's journey. We're created as eternal beings. I live a whole lot more of my life above the sun with God in eternity one of these days. This isn't our home. Maybe it shouldn't feel like it. I mean, we gripe and we complain and we make ourselves feel so comfortable and we set up shop and we unpack, but... What would change if you view your legacy through the lens of you're going to spend eternity above the sun with God? What needs to change under the sun? What kind of memories and experiences and things do you put into your photo book of memories for the legacy you leave behind that have an eternal impact? 
Listen, if you want your legacy to linger, recognize, number five, that your legacy is not your stuff. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to, this, to someone who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. In the New Testament, I'm not going to read it, but perhaps you're familiar with the story of the parable of the rich young fool. He says, God, I want all this stuff. And God answers in verse 20, but you fool. You're going to die this very night. Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will have what you have prepared for yourself? And then it says this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. I shared with you last week the Cliff's Notes version of the message, and I think that's wise, and I want to do that right now as well. Here it is. The lasting legacy that we leave behind us is not defined by our bank accounts or what we have stored up in big and better barns. Rather, we can pass an eternal focused life on by modeling what it looks like to walk with Jesus every step of our lives. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life. Not will be, not one of these days, but he says this is eternal life, that they know you. Jesus is praying here. He's praying for us, and he's saying, I want them to know you, my God, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So you want to leave a lasting legacy? Let's wrap it up with this application. Here's the true statement. Your lasting legacy the things that you leave behind that have lasting staying power is really found in Jesus. How do we do that? How do we build up those pictures that we leave in that photo album to outlive us? Well, first of all, it's by modeling. It's modeling a life that is pleasing to God. What did the passage say? A person can do no, nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. That's under the sun thinking, right? This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. In that video we watched earlier, the day in the life of a preschool student, did you happen to catch that monkey see thing on the bulletin board. This is true, right? Monkey see, monkey do. This is biblical. Jesus is praying in that prayer that we just read. He's saying, listen, I, I want them to see what I do. I'm modeling this, and then them do it. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. The same is true of you. You want to leave a lasting legacy for your kids and your grandkids. You model Jesus to them and just see what happens after that. Number two, results. Your lasting legacy is Jesus. And when it is, man, there are things to fill up that photo album with. There are results that happen from that. Results in wisdom and knowledge and joy. I was telling you a story about my grandpa earlier. I remember as a little boy driving around the edge of his field. 
You know what a hedge apple is? An Osage orange tree. These cool softball-sized fruits. They're seed pods. They're not, you don't want to eat them. They're nasty, I'm sure, or probably poisonous. But we would pick them up along the way, and I remember driving that tractor with him when I was just a little boy. I was thinking about that and the legacy of the life well-lived that he leaves behind. He loved Jesus with his whole heart. So did my grandma, and they invested deeply into five kids. My mom was one of them. And I look at what I have inherited, this faith inheritance from them. It reminds me of other fruit. I want to read to you from the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit. These are the results of a life under the sun, lifting your eyes to above the sun thinking. This is what this life looks like. As I read these, I want to invite you just to envision, what are you putting in those photographs? What are you investing in right now that has eternal, above the sun abilities? What will people see of you one of these days when you're gone? Legacy. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Are there loving pictures that get left behind? Loving experiences, loving memories that are left behind for those who follow you. Joy. Are you filled with joy? The fruit of the Spirit, one of them is joy. Peace. Peace in your heart. Because you know you're journeying with Jesus. Patience. Are you a patient person? The old text says forbearance, kindness. Are your pictures filled with kind moments? Goodness. Are you a good neighbor? Do people want to be around you? Faithfulness. Oh, can we count on you in a moment's notice? Are you gentle? Do you have self-control? I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, you know what? I'm way behind on this thing. I have messed up. I don't know what kind of a legacy I'm going to leave behind. Can I just encourage you? Did you happen to watch the Kentucky Derby last week? Or did you catch the highlights after the fact? I think it was 80 to 1 odds, right? I love this video. He comes from behind. This horse makes his move. You talk about leaving a legacy, a moment that people will be talking about for years, right? In the home stretch, my goodness, it's, the race is all but done, and he comes from back of the pack to front of the pack to win it, and then the roses and the celebration, and we'll be telling that story for a while. It's not too late. If you want to leave a legacy, if you want to raise your eyes from below the sun thinking to above the sun thinking, well, model your life after Jesus and see what results, the fruit of the Spirit kind of results, just leak out from that strategy. We're going to continue in worship right now. I'm going to invite you, would you simply stand up with us? We're going to respond by worshiping our God. You want to leave a legacy? Lift your eyes up. Stop thinking below the sun. Lift your eyes up to above the sun thinking. And maybe, maybe this song we're getting ready to sing, you should lift up as a prayer to consecrate, to give your heart over to God. Say, God, my heart, it belongs to you.